If you'll open your Bibles or turn them on and go to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, in the movie Tangled, yes, I have small children, so I'm aware of all those animated movies, but in the movie Tangled, there's this scene where Rapunzel and Eugene, they walk into the snuggly duckling, and they realize real quickly that it's not a snuggly duckling kind of place, that it's actually a place where a bunch of thugs and ruffians are eating and, and, and socializing. And so Eugene is not very popular with them, and so they begin to rough up Eugene. Now, the subtle imagery is that there's nothing about these guys of value, that they're just worthless people and that they don't really have much depth to them. But as they're roughing up Eugene, Rapunzel stops the scene and she says, Find your humanity. Haven't any of you ever had a dream? And she strikes a chord deep within them because they drop Eugene and they start singing. I got a dream, I got a dream. Some of you, I see, have seen the movie. Well, the lesson is that everyone has a dream. That even though your outward appearances may say that there's not much to you, that you're just a shallow, superficial person, that somewhere deep within you, there is a dream. There is something that you want from life. There is something, an impact that you want to make in life. All of us have a dream. Before the first word is put on paper, the author dreams a story. Before the first brushstrokes land on the canvas, the artist dreams a masterpiece. Before the ground is broken, the architect dreams a blueprint. Stephen Covey writes, if you don't make a conscious effort to visualize who you are and what you want in life, then you empower other people and circumstances to shape you and your life by default. The great philosopher Yogi Berra once said, if you don't know where you are going, you'll end up someplace else. So how about you? What is your dream? What do you want to be when you grow up? Last week we began this series, Look Up, and in this series we're working through the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. It's a very encouraging letter. It's full of a lot of these one-line sentences that just really dig deep into your soul. Now, one of the things that we've been doing in this series is we've been encouraging you to submit pictures that encourage us to look up. And so if you have a picture, one that you actually took, don't like Google somebody else's work and submit it, but one that you actually took that would inspire us to look up, send that to office at murphychurch.com. And we probably can't use every one that comes in, but we're going to try to use as many as we can. Uh, Each week there'll be a different picture that inspires us to look up. This one was submitted by Scott Anderson. Part of the significance of this is that we were on a... Scott, you're in this service, right? There you are. There you are. He is a world-class photographer, right? And part of the significance is we were on mission trip, and we were getting ready to do a block party, and rain came in, and we thought to ourselves, oh, man, this is going to ruin the whole... The whole party, we won't be able to do the ministry that we came here to do. But then the rain left, and the rainbows came out, and God brought the people for us to be able to minister to. And so it had a lot of significance as we were reminded to look up and see what God had done for us. I want to introduce the passage that we're going to be looking at today by video. And so let me uh, 
have you turn your attention to the screen for this video. a revolutionary phrase. I mean, it's an incredible challenge for each of us, but because Jesus revolutionized death, it also also revolutionizes what it means to be alive. And so today we're going to dig into that. By the way, this is my ALS challenge, and and we're going to dig into that verse and discover exactly what that means. I'm going to get you guys now. All right. Let's, let's, Let's dig into the scriptures, church. Well, there you go, all right? Several of you guys challenged me, so check that mark right there. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then zero in on verse 21. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Let's say verse 21 together, church. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now remember Paul's context. He is in jail. He does not know if he has life next month. He hopes that he might be released. He can go back to these churches that he loves He hopes that he can go forward with his missionary work and start new churches and go to other lands that need the gospel. But he does not know if tomorrow the executioner is going to come through the door and lead him to his death. He writes this letter of appreciation there to the church at Philippi for the love offering that they had brought to him through Epaphroditus. And he says these incredibly powerful words, living is Christ and dying is gain. That is one of the most powerful sentences ever written. And I think if you if you really digest this thought, we're going to drill down into these words today. And if you really digest these words, they can change your life. So let's start from the back of the sentence and move forward. Dying is gain. Now, that is a complete repackaging of everything that our society thinks about death. Because in American society, death is the ultimate finality. When someone dies young, what do we call it? We call it a, it's a tragedy because they they died young. The worst punishment that our judicial system hands down is the death penalty. And within our culture, we go to great distance, or go to great lengths to distance ourselves from death. We, we don't want to think about it. I even see it in preaching whenever I start talking about it. Immediately whenever I start saying the word, some people's minds start checking out. But just look at our culture and see how we, we go to distances, to, we go to links to distance ourselves from it. The coyote falls off the cliff thousands of times, and he always comes back alive to chase the roadrunner, right? Beep, beep. We, we shelter our kids from it. We don't want them to know about death. Mama, Where's old Max? I want to play fetch with him. Well, son, while you were at school, old Max saw a rainbow and he chased it. And we don't know if he'll come back home or not. Wink, wink. As a pastor, I've been to hundreds of funerals. Some of them I've officiated. Many of them I've attended. And I watch people 
and, and particularly the, the further we go into this century, I, I watch people go to great extremes to avoid thinking about death. In fact, some of us distance ourselves so much from death that we start believing it will never happen to me. We know it exists, it's out there, but it doesn't happen to me. And you even see some people do some very, very foolish things because they have lost sight of the reality that they themselves can die. There is a truth that we have to come face to face with, and that is that earthly hope, and nine out of ten times when people are talking about hope, they're talking about it within an earthly context. Earthly hope is always temporary because we're all going to die. And death is final, and death is horrible, unless someone can revolutionize death for us. Now, Paul says dying is gain, and the hero of Scripture is Jesus Christ. I mean, he's the star of Scripture. And what Jesus did was he revolutionized what it means to die and what it means to be Alive. You think about what is probably the most famous passage of Scripture in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not rot, will not be destroyed, but will have instead everlasting or eternal life. The whole mission of Jesus revolutionizing death and revolutionizing what it means to be alive. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he overcame the grave, the resurrection, what we celebrate at Easter, what we believe in as Christians. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has drastically changed what it means to live and what it means to die. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins. His death was for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God And then the passage ends, after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. Jesus revolutionized dying. In Christ, whenever we think eternally, we're able to turn a loss into a gain. We're able to turn finality into hope. We're able to turn terminal sickness into eternal health because Jesus has transformed dying for us. Now, until we really get our minds around that, we always find ourselves somewhat caged in by life because we're just limited to the the 20, 60, 80, hopefully you get 100 years that you have here on earth. But now let me ask you this question. How would your life change if you really began living with eternal hope? How would it change your life today if you really began living with the mindset that the life that I'm living today is part of my eternal existence with Christ? How's that going to change how you live? For Paul, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now you can see why this guy turned the world upside down. You can see why he was such an incredible missionary. Can you imagine being Paul's interrogator? Paul, if you don't stop preaching the gospel, we're going to throw you in jail. Well, I can't stop preaching the gospel. Living is Christ. That's why I'm alive. That's why I take in air, take up space, because for me, living is Christ. Well, okay, we won't just throw you in jail. We're going to kill you if you don't stop 
preaching the gospel. Well, that'll be okay, too. Dying is gain, you know, living is Christ. I mean, he had such a perspective that, that that freed him to be the man that he was. It freed him to be the extraordinary man of God that he became. I love the Christian community, and I'm a part of the Christian community, but let's be honest, sometimes as Christians we can be a little bit trendy, and we kind of go with trends, you know, like ice bucket challenges and things like that, you know. I'm kidding on that. But we have this little fascination about things, like we're fascinated with car medallions and casseroles and coffee. What is it about coffee and Christians? I mean, it's like all Christians drink coffee, and you kind of have the modern, trendy Christian guy, you know, he shaves his head, wears these little glasses, has skinny jeans, and he can't talk like this. He has to talk a little bit more like this, kind of raise the octave a little bit, you know, like it's more spiritual to talk high. And then in the last 10 years, we see the trendiness that church buildings are now old warehouses, and you can only quote theologians that are dead or live north of the Mason-Dixon line, and if a preacher preaches less than 45 minutes, then he's not very smart. And so we see all these trends. And, and that one got you there, huh, Paul? Uh, and worship leaders sing the songs over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, ah, here we go. And, and one of the trends, one of the trends in hymnody, and you hear it in preaching a lot, is that we say things like, well, Jesus is all that I need in life. If you take away everything, I mean, you can take away everything that I have, and if I just have Jesus, then I'm good because Christ is enough. And that is absolutely true. It's solid theology, and it's really true when I'm dying because if I don't have Jesus at death, then I literally have nothing because everything else doesn't go with me, so I need my Lord, otherwise I have nothing at death. But in life, and and I've always struggled a little bit with the whole theology because How do you wrap your mind around it? In life, I don't know anyone who just sits in a corner 24 hours a day, seven days a week saying, I don't need food. I don't need water. I don't need shelter. You can take away all those things. You can take away love. You can take away family. You can even take away coffee and casseroles and car medallions. And I'm okay because I got Jesus. I'm good. No, in, in real life, we, we need Jesus, but there's also this gift called life. And part of the gifts that Jesus gives us is love. And part of the gifts that Jesus gives us is life to be lived and relationships to be enjoyed. And that's part of the gift of Jesus. So what does Paul mean whenever he says living is Christ and dying is gain? Well, I think that living as Christ and dying as gain means that because Jesus has redefined for us what it means to die, then Christ has also redefined for us what it means to be alive. Did you catch that? Because Christ has redefined for us what it means to die, he's also redefined for us what it means to be alive. Now, let's talk about the all that I need is Jesus Christ is enough because living is Christ essentially means that our hope, our foundation, our guide through every aspect of life is Christ. Because I live for Christ, because he lives in me, then Christ brings definition, he brings truth to my thoughts and to my actions. Christ brings definition to my relationships. Whenever I approach my relationships as living as Christ, and so therefore uh, I want to take him into all my relationships, then that defines and brings definition to my, to my marriage. It defines my parenting. It defines how I treat my siblings. 
how I treat my parents. It even defines how I love my community, how I treat people at the grocery store, at the restaurant. Because living is Christ, that now translates into my relationships. Whenever living is Christ, it transforms my work because now I no longer just go to work and and hold down the job because I, I need to pay the bills. But now as I go into my sphere of influence, I am able to uh, be a Christian businessman, a, a Christian teacher, a Christian nurse. I'm able to take uh, my relationship with Christ and bring it into the world that I live. And I know we have limitations on what we can say and what we can't say within the business world, but you be salt and light wherever you are because there's something in you that is different, so you bring that difference wherever you go. Christ brings hope to my hurts. Those disappointments, those aches, those regrets of life. Christ brings hopes and for, hope and forgiveness. Christ brings perspective to my lifelong collection of stuff. You know, there's so much more to life than just collecting things. And whenever you reach the end of life, what happens to all those things that you collected? Your kids fight over them. That's what happens. Now, don't, don't live with false guilt. Sometimes, with, again, within our Christian community, we're like, oh, you can't have a nice car, you can't have a nice house, you can't enjoy a nice vacation because you're a Christian, so you shouldn't have anything nice. Well, that's, that's false guilt, that's not correct. I mean, don't, you don't need to embrace that nonsense. But as Christians, we also realize that the collection of things is not the goal of life. And having Christ in my life brings me perspective that even though I have these nice things, uh, ultimately... Christ is the one that I'm really living for. Living is Christ and dying is gain. Seven simple words. Seven simple words to live by and and seven simple words to die by. In the room today, there are a lot of people who somewhere along the way you quit dreaming and just started surviving. And it may be because you've made some mistakes along on your path. You have regrets, you've done things that you know are wrong, and because of that, you you think to yourself, God's grace can never reach down to me, He can never really use my life, and you've quit dreaming. You're just trying to make it through another day. It may be people have lied to you, people have hurt you, people have disappointed you, and because of that, you've quit dreaming, and you've quit thinking that your life can truly have impact, and you've quit thinking that you can love your neighbor and that loving your neighbor can make a difference, and perhaps you're even wearing cynicism as a wall to keep people from getting close to you. Maybe you've begun to realize how limited your time really is, and you are overwhelmed with the enormity of the task within the world, and you think, well, what good can I really do? And in the process, you've quit dreaming. Somewhere along the line, many of us, we quit dreaming, and we quit living with the end in mind, and instead of living, we're just surviving. And I want to invite you today to start living again. Live your life. Plaster these words somewhere where you see them. Put them them on your bathroom window. Put them in your car somewhere where you come across them. Living is Christ and dying is gain. Because, my friends, life is far too eternal for you to just survive it. Live. Live. Christ has overcome death so that he might transform 
life today. Live life to the fullest and use the one and only life that God has given you to make a difference in the world around you. The darkness of the world needs light like you to shine forth from the corners of this community and to draw other people to the truth of Jesus Christ. On November 12, 2012, I sent my friend Bobby the following email. Bobby and I served together as trustees at Southwestern Seminary. And so I sent him this note. I said, hey, Bobby, I'm going to be in your city today at Vanguard Church in, for a multiply conference. If you're free, perhaps you could join us for lunch or dinner. And Bobby responded back to me, I'm sorry, I cannot. I've been pretty sick and the docs are trying to figure out what it is. Thanks for the offer. So I responded, no worries, I hope you're feeling better. Drove by your church, beautiful view. And he said, thanks a bunch. Hope things are going well with you. About three months later, I got word that Bobby was diagnosed with ALS. So on May 16th, I was in my morning devotional time, and I, I felt led to send him another note. And so I emailed him. I said, I wanted to let you know that you're in my prayers as you battle ALS. I was hoping to come by and see you last week as I was in Colorado for a mission trip assessment. However, we never made it south of Denver. We're bringing a group up in July to do mission work for a church plant in Littleton. That trip that I was referring to is the one where the rainbow picture was taken. I always appreciate your encouraging spirit and friendship at the trustee meetings. Bobby, please let us know as prayer needs arrive. He sent me back, thanks for the email, doing fair. I've lost weight, am tired and winded, but Jesus is still Lord. I asked him, are you still able to preach and pastor? He responded, they have given me a sabbatical through August. I will take long-term disability after that. My last sermon was April the 7th. May 24th, I wanted to encourage him a little bit, so I sent him a picture of little Bennett and our family, and I said, praying for you today, Bobby, I hope you have a good week and are blessed with energy and joy. Not sure if I told you, but we welcomed our son into the world on April 2nd. Life is crazy, but good in Texas. August the 5th, 2013, I wrote him and said, wanted you to know I'm praying for you. How are you feeling today? And he responded with these words, thank you for your prayers I'm doing okay. I am weak, winded, and continue to lose weight. Some days are less bad than other days, and today is one of those less bad days. And then he ended his email with, He is Lord, and I trust Him. His will be done. Valentine's Day this year, the president of the seminary sends a note, and it reads, Please join me in praying for the family of our former trustee, Bobby Holt. Bobby went to be with the Lord yesterday morning. I went back over my emails this week um, because there has been an emphasis on ALS this week. And so I went back over my emails and was looking at some of the correspondence. And the last word, words that Bobby ever wrote to me just before his death were, He is Lord and God is good. I think my friend Bobby figured out what the Bible means when it says living is Christ 
and dying is gain. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment. For some of you, you've been seeking God and he's been at work in your life and you're coming to that point where you need to believe. You need to become a believer and just believe in Christ. And I encourage you right now in this moment just to call out to God and say, Lord, I've, I've sinned. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe in Christ today as my Lord and Savior. Let right now be your salvation moment where you believe. And if this is your moment of belief, I, I invite you to come and tell me. I'll be here at the front. I'll be here after the service. I would love to encourage you and help you however I can. There's others in this room that for whatever reason you've quit dreaming. Maybe you were disappointed, you were hurt. Perhaps you've unintentionally clinged to the idea that this is all that there is and You've never really begun to live with a hope that goes beyond the temporal. And so you're caged in by the realities of life. And you're surviving. You're not free to live as Christ. You're not free to live with that radical abandonment that realizes that God has put you on this planet for a reason and there's people that your life can impact. Even the pains of your story can be wells of ministry that flow as living water into the lives of those around you. So let God overflow the boundaries of your life and become that person of influence and become that person who dreams about how God can use your life. And then live your dream. Live for Christ. Let Him define your marriage. Let Him define your parenting. Let Him define you as a person. Because He is enough to carry you through every area that life has to offer. And He also transforms the end. So that we can take the defeat and turn it into a victory. The sickness turns into a healing. And the finality turns into eternity. Living is Christ. And dying is gain. Father, I pray for each and every person in here. I pray that we might grasp the truth that we saw in your holy word today. And Lord, I pray that it will not just sit on the page end at the end of this hour, but may the truth that we saw on the page be firmly planted in our hearts so that we are changed to be more like you. And I pray that you might use our lives to make a difference for you. Whether we have 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, may we use our time here to impact others. And may we live today with eternity in mind. In Jesus' name.